everything that is thinkable is possible. Welcome back to the next chapter of Emotional Intelligence, Part 2. So Harley, I'm going to go further reading in your book. So you think what you are doing is for the best. Don't take it personally. Anticipating resistance and understanding where it comes from helps us handle it when it inevitably appears. For the last few weeks, I have been considering how it is impossible to do the right thing. I guess everyone has tried to do it at least once in their lives, only to find that it got kicked back in their face with such ferocity that one is reluctant to try again. Do you think that it is possible to take a positive action without it having a negative impact somewhere else? The more I consider this question, the more convinced I am, the answer can only be no. Imagine, if you will, a positive action, perhaps an act of charity. Now think of a negative consequence it can have somewhere else. To give you an example, my wife worked for a charity that provided medical treatment for the pets of very poor people. However, many vets complained about the charity because they said it was taking business away from them. Even when she pointed out that a homeless person, without any fixed income, who relies on their dog for protection and for warmth at night, is very unlikely to be able to afford medical treatment for their dog. The vets maintained that their argument remained. So Harley, is it then even possible to do the right thing? I always thought that problems in business were simple to solve. When I was younger, I was so much more confident and you go into a company and you say, oh yeah, yeah, it's the salesperson that screwed up and we'll just replace the salesperson, we'll retrain them and everything will be fine. And until one time when I nearly sent one of my clients bankrupt, I nearly destroyed the business because I was brought in because there was a problem in sales and the sales were going down and it was clear that they were going down and the sales were not right. And I didn't look at it from a holistic point of view. And so what did we do? Yeah, we, we replaced the salesperson and we changed some of the sales processes. But soon afterwards, the sales started to go right up again. Brilliant. But then we had all sorts of problems. The production couldn't follow. Accounting couldn't follow. Cash flow couldn't follow. What I didn't look at was what are the credit notes when the sales were good? How many complaints did they have? How many people were working in production? Because the sales had gone down, they'd laid off some of the staff from production. So the staff in production couldn't fail and it couldn't follow. 
So when you do something good in a business in one area, I have learned there will be an equal and opposite reaction somewhere else. Somewhere else, yeah. So that's something you've got to think about. And when your business is really, really successful and it's growing and you're doing really well, you will have your competitors who will wake up and suddenly think, hang on, how are we going to, hey, 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 this can't carry on. We're yeah. going to, uh, we're going to interfere somehow. We're going to do some advertising campaigns. We're going to see if we can steal some of their staff. So whatever you do in life, there is always an equal and opposite reaction somewhere. Yeah. And I, and I, believe as a leader you need to be aware of that and you need to understand the emotional reaction when someone starts to become successful when someone in your team is doing really well other people will become jealous <laughs> it's sure as night follows day and yeah. if you as a leader you have to predict that this will happen and you have to have a strategy to meet it when when you know it comes so all of those things are linked back to emotional intelligence because of this anticipation effect. And that's where your wisdom comes. You know, you've seen it before. You've got the knowledge this time and therefore you can come up with a solution. Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes, and that's true, sometimes you can see things coming. Yeah, you, yeah. you can see them coming because yeah. because you know it from your experience yeah. that this is going to be the next step. And that's going to happen, happen, happen. Okay. And what are my options this time? Want, what are, what's okay. my strategy yeah. to appoint this? And, and strategy is a good word to apply. That's the word really. I, I want to come yeah, to yeah. because that's what I wanted to ask also. Is there then any kind of strategy you could like uh, say and set out that can um, reduce the antagonistic effects when oh, you take uh, yeah, a decision. So let's take the sales purpose. Yeah. Now, if I was going back into that company today yeah. uh, and I was doing that assignment again, obviously I would ask to see the credit notes. So when the salesperson was told how many how many credit notes were coming, or ask to see the quarterly figures looking at the things, I would then also involve production from day one. I would also involve accounting and logistics from day one. And there's something I've developed called a solution design meeting. A solution design, design meeting. meeting yeah. So we basically get representatives from our organization, in your case, you, you, a cross-section, and you say, look, what's the problem we're trying to solve? And then in this case, they would say, yeah, our sales are no good. Okay. Second question is, now, production will say the salespeople are always selling the wrong product. Or logistics will say uh, there's always uh, never enough time to get the product delivered by or the prices are too low or whatever. Everybody will write something down to what is the problem. Even when you explain it, they will all write something different down. And then you'll see the complexity of your problem. So your first question is, what's the problem we're trying to solve? The second question is, how will, how will we know when it is solved? Ah, yeah. sales will be coming in. Products will be going out of the factory. They're going on the right truck. It packaged in the right boxes. They're arriving safely at the customers. Or oh, we'll know when it's solved because we'll have happy, happy customers. Now your sales revenue problem is being expressed in four or five different ways. And then collectively as a team, you can start to build up for it. So as soon as you see the numbers going up, production already know that the numbers are likely to start going up so they can start getting ready and they can organize their overtime. And you see, they're part yes. of the solution. Yes. It's not one person. If one person in your team is having a problem, the whole team is having a problem and the solution is within the team, not within the person. 
I strongly believe that. Yes, it's obvious when you when it's obvious when you when you when you tell it like this because then you can you can see the whole. You always have to look at the whole picture. Yeah, and the problem is it's very difficult for us because emotion gets in the way. Yes, but 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 we're humans. If they just worked a bit harder, if they just worked a few more hours, those numbers would come in. Yeah, I know them. Yeah, if I was doing it, it wouldn't have be a problem. No. You know, we're so yeah. we're yeah. arrogance and emotion. It, it it's not a good again. combination. Comes back again. Leadership yeah. is about taking people somewhere other than where they're headed, and that's really where you've got to pull these together. Yes. So when we go further down in your book. We come at the key point of everyone is a liar. <laughs> yes, indeed. To believe what you are told is one thing. To act upon is another. An experienced leader knows that reading people and discovering their motives is the trick to identifying the best path for them to follow. However, this skill becomes absolutely crucial when stepping into a company or department in order to come up with a new vision and strategy. The trouble is that most people will not tell you the truth. At the very best, they will only offer you their version of it. More often than not, they will tell you whatever it is they think you want to hear. Mm -hmm. So recognizable. Yeah. yeah. However, There are a few people that actually believe the lies they tell. Converting them into a new and strange reality the moment the words pour out of their mouths. Mm -hmm. So then when you speak with their colleagues and try and get a 360 degree view of the situation, you find that their version of the truth is consistently out of line With a common view, assuming one can be detected. Mm -hmm. So, and then, of course, is not telling the truth more a strategy of politeness, not to destroy a relation between two or more humans? And and also, can a leader create a culture where that is possible and how? Yeah, listen, Because, yeah, okay, we don't want our, our, our staff telling the truth, right? You know, no. you know, it's because, painful. It's painful. It, it, you know, if everybody was telling the truth all of the time, I mean, it'd be horrible, no. you know, okay. you know, I mean, because, yeah. you know, do, do I look, especially in your business, you know, do I look good in this top? No, you look terrible. No. I mean, okay. that is not yeah. going to help anyone. No. No. So what we want is to service our customers. What we want is to work together as a team. What we want is to feel respected. What we want is to trust one another. And so everybody's version of the truth is the truth. And that's what I want to say there, really. Yeah. Okay. And by the solution design approach that I was talking about earlier comes back to this because there's about seven questions that you have to go through. And by answering each of the seven questions, you end up developing a group solution or a solution that can work very, very quickly. And this can be implemented within hours sometimes if it's an urgent thing or even minutes and certainly within a short period of time. And this is really when you're trying to change deeply embedded behavioral problems within your teams. So the, the one person's truth is somebody else's lie. And as a leader, you've got to believe everyone. You've got to trust them. But you just got to ask you a question now. Why would she say that? Why would he say that? Why would he think that? What is that? Because the answer to that question, which is the secondary question, mm -hmm. 
where we started yes, today's yes, talk yes. is actually part of the probably the root cause of the problem. Yeah. And and that's really where we're getting at in 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 this in this story. Um and yeah, the reason that we go to work is because we want to feel useful. We want to be part of society. We want to do something that other people recognize as being useful and needed. An unhappy person is a person who doesn't feel needed. If you have to make someone unemployed, that's the worst thing that can happen to them because you're saying you're no longer needed. The other three people are remaining because we need them, but we don't need you. And that's the worst that can happen to a human. And people will have their own version of the truth in order to be needed. So when they go home, they say, well, we, we let I was made redundant today because I, I wasn't cutting fast enough or I was too expensive or I was this or whatever. They will never say it because I was no longer needed. And if they say that, it's a very, very sad situation. And and that is part of the human frailty and condition, and that links very much with emotional intelligence. So to so believe people what they say, even if you know it's an outright lie, the only question you need to ask yourself is why would that person be saying that? Have I really, as a leader, created an environment where they can't open up to me? And if they can't open up to me, can they? who can they open up to? Let's encourage that and let's solve this problem. Harley, as um, in, your, in your experience, um with working with with also very big companies is there is there because to be able to tell something you always need that cornerstone trust and is there in your experience um a different result when for example you have like you come in a company culture where everything is very straight outlined and very direct does it happen there much easily or is it more going to happen when you come in when you, when you have like a company culture where there is more openness and there is more space for people and they have their their or is it it's a combination of the two oh, it's very or, difficult, or to, say, difficult to say because most companies don't have a company culture they have several cultures they have a corporate culture that you know we, we put faith in humankind or, or we believe in our products or yeah, whatever that but is but that's a slogan but yeah 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 but that can also be a belief you know okay. if you work for apple i think you do yeah. believe that your yes. products are the best in the yes. world and you're yeah. proud to work for them yes. i mean and there are other, other other phone manufacturers or, i mean whatever yeah. you understand what yeah, i mean yeah 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 especially with branding and you yes. can brand even the most obscure company who you're working for for lopidopidus whatever it is amplifiers because you believe this is a, a great team and you love the team and it's a great product so, so these brands but the culture will work on several levels there's the culture by the coffee machine there's a culture after work there's a culture in the management room there's the cultures are working on different levels i'm not really sure this is a quite a complex environment and i have worked in a company and i really made a mistake i don't want to mention the name of the company but it was a very trendy uh, jeans manufacturer mm. and um And I've been only there a few, well, a few days, really. I'd hardly been there at all. And I met the CEO and um, I said, oh, wow, what a great bunch of people. And he looked at me and he said, do you really think so? And he looked at me like with really a hard expression to thinking like you're an idiot. And they were just wonderful. You go in in the morning, say, oh, hi, Harley, how are you? And almost group hugs and all that kind of thing. And you were go But then after another four weeks, I realized that they were completely on the on the 
surface it was fantastic, but nothing was happening underneath and no one was committing to one another. And behind each other's backs, there was lying and cheating and whatever. Yeah, but there was this culture of yeah. we're all together and we're wonderful and we work for the company. And so, yeah, you've got to be very careful, very careful. It's not, it's the behavior that's got to change. If people are constantly lying and constantly hiding the truth and constantly, that's because they're scared. I had a PA once who... My company was getting into financial difficulties. It was years ago, and I was not interested in finance. I thought I could run a company in those days when I was like 19 or 20, 23. Mm. In those days, I thought I could run a company without being interested in finance. How arrogant is that? So I had a, uh, a lady who used to look after all the bookkeeping, but she could see that the company finances were not good. So she was paying credit cards off with other credit cards and the financial debt. I never saw the debt. Yeah. I just saw the balance sheet, look, yes. you know, the, the yeah. bank account looked yeah. great. But the credit cards account were a disaster. Yes. And when I found out, I sacked her because I thought, well, she's been lying to me. She's been never. But I didn't give her the environment to, to open up. And yeah. she knew what would happen when she owned up, she'd lose her job. And sure as night but, followed days, she lost her job. Yeah. She later said to my mother, because yeah, funnily enough, they met in some weird coincidence. 20 years later, she said it was the best thing that ever happened to her losing her job because she learned the lesson that she needed to speak up and present the truth. Okay. But I didn't know that until yeah. a long time later. Yeah. So yeah. But it's um, it's 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 always like a, a process. But when when you touch that example from from the company, say yeah, you think so. When when you let it evolve that far, that you already have that company culture, you miss some important steps. How? I would say because I would because I was, we are working obviously in a very smaller organization where where you where, where you can see where you can see people uh, much closer. But then uh, obviously you, you miss some steps. And is that possible to correct it again without too much damage or or, or not anymore? It can be very difficult. Difficult when yeah. it's really deeply ingrained. You need to then probably bring someone external in and help together with the team and yes. facilitate the group yes. together. Yeah. You as a leader, I think if you've let it get that far, you need external help to come and coach it all together. And then it's behavioral coaching and it can be fun and it can be inclusive, but it can also be painful because you have, you know, pain is the breaking of the shell of understanding, you know. Indeed. Harley, I like to move to the next chapter in your book, which is finding the hidden agenda. The door to collaboration is opened by understanding the motives of those that oppose us. So, and you write, leaders need to have the ability to read people and situations well. The subtle uncovering of a hidden agenda can assist them to manipulate a situation into a direction of their choosing. The principle is this. If you want to get the most out of a team, then you have to get the most out of each of the individuals who make up that team. You have to have them pulled together and form a tight-knit group that trusts one another and complements one another with their skills, energy and creativity. 
Discovering hidden agendas is very important for motivation. If you know where each team member is going, what their ideals, visions and dreams are, if you can anticipate what their hidden agendas might be, in the best case, you are well on the way to being able to motivate them to producing excellence. In the worst case, you can see that their hidden agendas may potentially be on a collision course with your desired outcome. Thus, you can begin to find a way to avoid a catastrophe and even enhance the outcome of combining the agendas with the team to complement each other. My definition of a hidden agenda is something undisclosed that potentially conflicts with the required outcome. A plan that you don't know about or a plot that you are unaware of. Detecting hidden agendas is not easy. However, they can sometimes be detected by the simple avoidance of a question. For example, if your teenage daughter, who is usually forthcoming with information, was planning to go out to a nightclub on the weekend and she knew you would not approve, she might reply to your question, what are you doing this weekend with this and that? And exit the room as quickly as possible. Similarly, when all logical arguments fail to impress and when there is lack of interest from those you expect to behave otherwise, be open to the idea that a hidden agenda might be present. Do not become paranoid. Be patient and take your time to win trust. Trust has to be earned. So Harley, is there then a specific strategy to follow? People change, situations change, and agendas change. And how does an inspirational, an inspirational leader change this? Yeah. I think the most important thing is to always focus the team on where they're going, where they're headed. And that's, I know it's, it's a basic thing to say, but the moment you stop and get out of the car and they're all around you and they're all beginning to argue and discuss and doing things, whatever they are, and I use the car as a metaphor, then problems begin. But once you're busy traveling somewhere, the team put up with all sorts of discomfort because they know they're going somewhere. So the reason why I say is don't get paranoid is because, yeah, you know, people in the team may have their own hidden agenda. But as long as it doesn't really interfere with where we're going as a team or where you as a leader are taking them, it's not really so much of a problem. And actually, sometimes you can embrace that. So how do you, as an inspirational leader, you almost encourage it. You can say, look, you know, it doesn't matter. Be open to it. So, for example, I remember a famous case when um, one of my young team sort of always tried to disappear early on a Wednesday. And I couldn't really understand why. Because 
any other day of the week, she would be, you know, working late and showing lots of enthusiasm. And on a Wednesday, around sort of two o'clock, she got a bit hazy. And by four, she was getting nervous. But she was afraid to tell me that she was studying for an accountancy exam. And her work in the team was something completely different. It was a really high-tech, IT-related project. But of course, she was nervous to talk about she's studying accountancy. Well, I, you know, really, it didn't affect the project, the fact she's studying accountancy. And as an inspirational leader who trusts the team, if she says, look, I'm studying to do this accountancy exam and I'm halfway through and I, I don't want to give up. I'm not even sure if I want to be an accountant, but I really want to finish my course and get good points. And it starts at five o'clock every Wednesday and it's a two hour journey to get there or whatever. Build on it. You can even give her the space and say, look, hey, come on. Isn't it time for you to go now? You know, don't be late and really support them. So it's really building that trust where people can talk and say, look, they've got other priorities or whatever. I've got a new boyfriend and you've got a new girlfriend and I want to go off and see my mom. She's ill or whatever. By building that trust within the team, then sometimes these agendas come to the top and they're not an issue unless they're contrary to what the team is going to as a whole. I don't know if I've answered the question really. Yeah. It's it's understandable to see it from that viewpoint. In 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 our industry, it can, probably in any industry, it can uh, often happen that people are in a team, but in the course of time, they change their goals or they want something different. They don't dare to say it, but you can you can see and you can feel it on their behavior and the way they work. And in the worst case. For example, what happened to to a lot of people, myself and colleagues I know, is that when people want to go their own way, they try to hit it and and don't be open to it and on the long term even hurt the business a little bit. That's the most dangerous part. The other parts are when people get involved, for example, they get, they get like a new boyfriend or they, they discover to have a new hobby which takes some energy. But you can see it in behavior. And that's very difficult because we are restricted in crossing that line and daring to ask a question without going too private, to not to go too far, and, and, and at the same time keeping the distance, but not knowing what's going on and then creating your own movie. Yeah, well, that's the problem. When you yeah. create your own movie, you get paranoid and you think, oh, that's yeah. the third Wednesday afternoon in a row when she's gone. Yeah. Maybe she's going for interviews or something. She's something. not just studying something else yes. or doing something yeah. else yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And of course, you know, in your business, especially like in lots of small businesses, the loss of one person can be really critical. But if they're thinking about going in a new direction, then they won't know if they want to do it until they try. And if they're thinking about setting up their own business or going off to, to a competitor, then they won't know until they do it. And so actually, you've got to embrace it. You've got to trust them and trust yourself and knowing that the business existed before they were there and it will exist after they've gone. But that transition from the moment you're in today to where you want to be, how you handle that and how you treat the people with trust and, and respect is a big thing. And then you will see that these uh, hidden agendas 
are of little little consequence actually they're very rarely a big problem it's only when there's a a systematic um, culture of distrust and uh, not disclosing what you're thinking where you're going uh, that can cause real problems but that's that's um that's building up because you don't communicate probably enough with your people you don't have the communication we well, don't listen and don't ask yeah. open questions yeah that you know, is, asking it, open questions is the most important thing most you know? important yeah did you have a good weekend this weekend yes thank you that's a closed question you know how was your weekend that's a little bit more open you know did you go sailing on the weekend even more open you know the weather was great on the weekend did you go sailing and then they'll probably go no i did this this and this instead So the more that we learn to have open questions and and to encourage the response, is is is, is the, in all aspects of business. Is there a line you have to draw when you see it's going, it's really going the wrong way? How how you approach it then? For example, when if you see it's for example that a certain uh, individual of the team does really um, not fit and continue with the goals and has a really hidden agenda but you can see through it you take immediate steps you confront them with it or yeah, you build course. it up no no of no course. you don't I, let, okay. I, as soon as as i say as soon as a hidden agenda or the lack of transparency is beginning to negatively impact on the team and the the goals that you've set for the team or for your business then you have to step aside find the right moment um take the person aside give them some context saying listen i don't know what's going on but i've been seeing over a period of weeks now that it seems to have changed things something is not right you know let's let's talk about it one to one and where are we on this and i think yeah you you need you need to have that open conversation and you need to do it not in quicker sooner rather than later Maybe it's just me. I'm being paranoid, but as far as I can see, it's not the same. It's not clicking with you and the rest of the team, or with you and me. I can feel it. You know, let, let's talk about it. And that, that, yeah, you have to do that. That's part of your yeah. leadership. Yeah, that's part of your leadership. Taking role. up the, it's the responsibility you have to or, take. Or, of yeah. course, if you've got a bigger organization, making sure that their line managers. I've been watching John, and I don't think he's quite where he was. Don't have a word with him. And he says, yeah, 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 because it might be that John already knows all about it and it is something private and it's something he's struggling with. And John might say, uh, the guy might say, you know, I've got it all in hand, back off, it's fine. It will Probably pass. Yeah. yeah. At the end, it's always, like I said before, listening. And then we we continue mm-hmm. to, the, to the next uh, part. What you wrote in your book is the importance of listening. Listening is not passive, it's engaging. Listening is allowing your mind and soul to empathize with the person that is speaking. Listening is not about agreement or disagreement. Listening is not about what you think or believe in. That's a lecture. Listening is about understanding where the message is coming from and the circumstances that surround it. 
in everything we do, perhaps listening is the hardest of them all. And Harley, you're right, so I continue. Listening is obviously an essential part of any debate or negotiation. But listening is much more than simply hearing. Listening implies understanding and understanding is the basis from which strategies are built. The better people are at listening, the better they are at sharing ideas. If innovation is the source of progress and competitive advantage, then it is vital that leaders ensure that they promote a suitable listening culture to encourage it. Contrary to common belief, powerful leaders may appear hard and unyielding, but more often than not, they are among the best negotiators because they are instinctive listeners. They have learned that in order to progress and to maintain their position, they need to be accepted not only by their fellow management colleagues, but also by their staff. Their ability for active listening and personal acknowledgement allows them to pick up useful information from wherever it is available. Inspirational leaders know that it is important to understand the real situation, to be compassionate, and to compromise when necessary. So, Harley, before I move on to my question, because we already got some, like, antagonistic uh, features here, it's like, it's an... It's uh, important to understand the real situation. You have to be compassionate and to compromise when necessary. So you listen, you understand what's going on, you make a compromise, and you, but you still have to align everything to the goals. Yeah, I don't mean yeah. a compromise in compromising with what the person's saying. No. You've got to compromise your own prejudices. Okay. So there's two elements yeah. in this article. Yeah. And maybe I wrote it too long, but there's two elements. There's the personal element for an inspirational leader and their own ability to listen and to forget their own personal beliefs and, and, and prejudices whilst they're listening. Otherwise, your body language and everything gives that's that's that personal element but there is this second part where i'm talking about creating the space where people can talk and debate and let's take a, a typical example of a very innovative business with lots of great ideas and whatever and that's been going for a few years and then you have a new person coming along maybe a junior and they say one lunchtime oh wouldn't it be great if we did xyz and then everybody just laughs at them. And, ha, 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 that would never work. Not in this organization. Oh, are you kidding? No, 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 you're young. You'll learn. Well, you know, if a leader allows that culture in their organization, that young person is never going to raise any idea or say something again. They're just going to lock down and shut down. So on the one hand, an inspirational leader has to make sure that the, there is a culture of openness, of listening and where people can share ideas and speak freely 
even if what they're saying doesn't make any sense at all, that people don't laugh at them and shoot them down. Because sometimes in the nonsense, we get great ideas. You know what? That would never work. That's a crazy idea, but I like it. You know why? Because maybe we could do this. And so you, on the one hand, the inspirational reader needs to create the space to allow that kind of conversation, be it over lunch, be it at the coffee bar, be it in a debate, be it in a, an actual meeting room. Well, Sally, what do you think of what you've just heard? And going round the table, you know, Simon, what did you, how do you feel when you've heard this? And on the other hand, in their own one-to-ones and in their management meetings, to actually listen to stuff, especially when they don't agree with what's being said. And that's what I mean by the compromise there. It's not yeah. like, oh, you're right, let's meet in the middle. It no. doesn't mean that. Okay. When you're being compromised, when you're being challenged, it has a double meaning. And uh, when you're being compromised, when you're being challenged, back off and try and hear it from their mind. And what I, one of the tricks I always share is, if you don't like what you're hearing, if you don't agree with what's being said, just ask yourself whilst you're listening, why would they be saying this? Why would they think like that? How should I react? How can I give them space so I can get to that deeper level of understanding so that I can go away, reflect on it, and then come back later on with the right approach? That takes energy and that takes humility. Why do you think listening is so difficult? Can we train to become good listeners? I think it's difficult for some people more than others. But typically, you know, your alpha males who go up and become leaders and they become great, they tend to tend to be less good. What they're good at sometimes, the really super achievers are very good at listening to things which they know are going to be of benefit to them and very bad at listening to things being negative. However, yes, you can learn it when you see that there's a benefit in it. And when you start your own business and you're losing lots of staff, you've got to ask yourself, why, why have I got a high turnover of staff? Well, one of the reasons is maybe you're not creating an environment when you can hear and see So yes, you can learn it, when, but you first of all got to understand the benefit of it, what it brings to you, what it brings to your business. Some people find it easier than others. And normally one person in any team of 10 will be a much better listener than others. And if you're rubbish at it, ask the other person, say, look, what do you think she means by this? Or what do you think he meant by that? And then listen to what they say and, 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 and learn from them. Okay, that that's 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 covered it enough. You also need probably a little bit like creativity to take it on. And I would like to to finish then with also the chapter where you write creativity in the workplace, who needs it? Yeah. There is nothing so effective in snuffing out the candle of creativity as a good idea that has fallen on deaf ears. Why is it that we encourage our staff to think and behave creatively? Some of the unhappiest companies I have ever worked in are ones that 
ironically, had creativity high on their list of priorities when it came to personal development and assessment. The pressure on the staff to be creative just made them feel inadequate. The simple truth is that for the majority of employees, creativity does not necessarily help them in any way to carry out their daily tasks. Finding ways to improve things and becoming more efficient is obviously vitally important, but it is not, and never should be, a daily activity. Far too often, employees feel depressed after listening to each other's creative ideas, simply because they instinctively know that even in the unlikely event that the idea might be a good one, it has little chance of getting through. It is not unheard of for middle managers to act as creativity black holes where ideas from above come lost without trace and ideas from below just become a tick box on an individual's yearly appraisal. A very good input, Harley. Hopefully you can implement it one day, when we have the resources and time. Creativity, Harley, in our industry is a big word. It's often misunderstood, misused, and creating more chaos than order on a sandal floor most of the times, but we need it. So how do we stay on the straight one with this one? Well, I mean, the, the, we, we have to split this into two again. Okay. Because you've got on the one hand, in your, in your unique environment, your stylists, your cutters need to be creative. It's a creative job. They're artists, they're craftspeople, so they need to be creative in their work. But that is not the same as creative in the workplace. So if you're working in a workplace where the processes are every year, the bosses are saying, we've got to save money, we've got to save money, we've got to do this, we've got to be creative. And it ends up with people thinking, oh, let's add some water to the shampoo and, and therefore we can save money. And I mean, on the one hand, a lot of people live in that environment. And they're being told on the one hand to be creative and then to come up with great ideas to help the business. But if they know that those little chance of those ideas getting implemented, then they don't bother anymore. So I think we have to split your this world in your world into two. You've got the creativity. And when when are your stylists and people at their most creative? Probably when they're feeling good, when they're feeling confident, when they feel that they've got a good technique, their technique is developed. They can become maybe a little bit overconfident and, and, and go a bit too far. But that, I think yeah, that creativity is, is fine. That's part of the job, isn't it? That's part of uh, creating an, an atmosphere of excitement and, and, and we, inspirational. We need, it. We, we need it to advance also. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. that means taking risks yes. and, again, trusting people. But the idea of what do you, somebody raising a lot of time, what do you think of the idea of, of, of doing Mrs. Brown's hair green or something, and then you suddenly shutting that that person down by wow, no, 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 that never worked. That that's what I'm talking about in the listening chapter we've just had. But it comes back again in creativity, you know. So again, open questions: Why would you want to do that? 
you know, how do you think she might feel when she comes out? Where did you get the idea from? Let's explore this together. How would it work? By these open questions allows the person to talk. Maybe they talk, talk, talk until they realize it's a, it's a crazy idea and they shut themselves down. And that's really the important for creative environments. Open questions. Yeah. For us, the balance between doing creative work and being uh, financially uh, and, and it, it has to be financially responsible also is, is, it's, a, it's, it's a balance exercise and I will explain for example if you imagine what happens to a stylist is when when you have a very busy schedule that day and you have like your first client is a very difficult client, but you have only a certain amount of time, but you have to be creative. You have to do something others out of the box, something that, so that's already um, tricky, but there are still 11 more or 12 more clients waiting for the same experience. So what happens most of the time to be able to be focused on your schedule, and create the revenue we need also at the end of the day. You start doing repetitive techniques. You choose those things you know would work in a safe environment. You will be like 90% sure that the result you want to create is going to be there. But then the creativity is lost again. The real creativity is lost again. So for us in our industry, it's, 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 a, it's a very thin line because we're restricted. We have like but it's like a, bit, yeah. a sort of thin line of investment. It's the same in, in manufacturing industry. If you're developing a new plastic for car dashboards and it's all going very well and everything's great, you can sit back and go ching, 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 ching and bring the revenue in. But you know that's got a shelf life. And within two to three years, you're going to be in really big problems because someone's going to come along and be doing something different and better. Yeah. So, so part of your role in inspirational leadership is to make sure that you, not just you, but your team are reading new magazines, are looking at new ways, are asking questions, are seeing how does this work in other industries. So, for example, if one of your clients is a veterinary surgeon, you can imagine they have exactly the same problem. They've just had to put an animal to sleep. The, the, the owners are very, very upset, but they've still got 11 people. How do they get the person out of the out of the consult room? Because they're saying, oh, sorry, time's up. You've got to go. So I think we can all learn from, from each other each and from other, different yeah. industries. And yes. creative in people are those who learn from each other and learn from other industries. Just because the boss in your salon has always done it this way, doesn't mean there's not a million other ways of doing it. So and better ways list, to do it. Yeah, oh yeah but yeah. create a yeah. list of all the kind of businesses that might have similar demands and see how how do dentists and doctors and and and, and, and counselors counselors who have to people and coaches and psychological coaches and all these they all work on a time base. But how do they end a session when someone's crying and very upset and in a difficult place? You can learn from them and you can learn from each other. So I'm sure, and, and even have coaching on the team about how to handle difficult clients and how to do this and how to do that. And I think that's what I mean. Moving everything up to the next level. Learning from others and learning from businesses that are different. Because everybody 
says, oh, but our business is different. It's, it's <laughs> no, different. Yeah. 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 yeah of but course. we all have very, very similar problems. At the end, at the end, when you analyze it, it's true. I worked yeah. for a CEO who had about 30,000 employees. Oh my God. And yeah, if you think yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. every one of those 30,000 employees at one time in their career would probably have loved to have had a conversation with that person. Add on top all the customers of that company who would like to have had a meeting with the CEO, maybe to get better prices. All the suppliers who would like to have a meeting with the CEO to get better prices for their products. And then add the trade unions, then add the politicians, and then add the press, and then add everybody else. You've probably got the 65,000 to one ratio, okay, who want to spend time with that person. So you can imagine that when you finally do get a meeting with that person, it's going to be very short and to the point. How do they get rid of a very important customer politely when the next meeting is starting. We can all learn from each other, even though you can say, well, there's no connection between the CEO of a global multinational and the owner of a, an independent hair salon with five stylists. I'm sure there is, I'm sorry. There's a lot of things that are connected and a lot of skills that we can learn from one another in both directions. Both are, it's, a, it's, a, it's just another scale. Yeah. It's just another so scale. So go out of your comfort zone, talk to people who are not stylists and see how they overcome similar and start with, do you ever have a situation where, dunk, 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 how do you handle it? Yeah, it's exploring and learning. Yeah. 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 And that is innovation. What does innovation mean? It doesn't mean invention. And people confuse invention and innovation. Innovation is the use of a tool in a way that it hasn't been used before. So if you pick up a hammer and you use it in a way that it wasn't designed for as a hammer to knock a nail in, that's innovation. But it can be a tool or a process or an idea or a concept. It's to take something that exists already and to use it and develop it in a way that was not foreseen in its invention. Innovation and invention are very different words and mean different things. That's so very well explained. Thank you, Harley. You're very, very yeah. welcome. So we come to an end well, of this chapter. Yeah. I would like uh, to thank you. And also, dear listeners, we came to an end of this incredible enlightening episode with Harley Lovegrove. I would say stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about adaptability. Thank you, Harley. For sharing these You're insights with us. You're very welcome. You're very welcome, Ashmael. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye.